This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 113. And we're back. Of the in-between podcast where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel Lim. And I'm Christina M. All right. Well, after a brief little hiatus. <laughs> yes, as we got all our ducks in order to get our kids to start homeschooling. Yes. So Christina is not only podcaster and producer and editor extraordinaire <laughs> and social worker and counselor, but she's also now a teacher. Yes. So. <laughs> who survives on naps and coffee and her husband who does the dishes. Yes. <laughs> well, so thank you for sticking with us. And I'm sure you're like, well, it's a new episode. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for subscribing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you haven't, uh, I mean, we have a catalog of not just 113 episodes. We have a lot of episodes too so be sure to go through and hit subscribe so you don't miss a- another episode but today we have a fascinating 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 interview with a friend Richard Lee on how to help your family fight modern day slavery. I'm sure you've heard a lot in the news about human trafficking. Perhaps you've never heard of that before, but as your friends are talking or you're seeing things being posted on Instagram or Facebook, there are a lot of opinions out there and there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. So we wanted to go to a reputable person and a reputable organization to be talking about okay first of all what is human trafficking what it entails and second of all what can we do about it yeah we met last year when we went up to washington dc to work with international justice mission it was so eye-opening especially that moment when we were walking through the building and just seeing all the pictures and all the stories it wasn't stock photos from unsplash but real stories behind behind every picture and honestly when we went there or at least when i went there i was thinking yeah slavery that's there's sex trafficking there's that's that's majority of what it is but actually as we'll discover in this interview that is not the only form of modern day slavery Right, Daniel. And sometimes we hear something in the news that disturbs us so much that we just go on Facebook and we post a bunch of articles and then we comment and then we don't know what else to do. So we just go on with life. Mm -hmm. But we've come back to it and feel really actually horrible because we know that there is something else that we can do. We know, especially if we hear the stories and put pictures and faces to stories that these are real lives and people who are trapped in human trafficking and modern day slavery all over the world. And instead of just feeling helpless and hopeless, there are things that we can do, not just ourselves, but include our children as well. Yeah, so in this episode, you'll hear from Richard Lee, who is a sought-after speaker on issues of justice and the church. For the last 20 years, he's been speaking at churches across the nation. In fact, he has a TED Talk called Slavery Still Exists and Here's How to End It. You can find it on the TED.com website. 
Additionally, he is the host of The Pursuit with Richard Lee, a podcast with unfiltered conversations with faith leaders about their journey to pursue God. He also works with International Justice Mission as the Global Officer of Public Engagement, where he trains and equips IJM staff and survivors to carry the message of ending injustice on the global stage. Before joining IJM, Richard served 20 years in pastoral ministry at churches like Liquid Church and Bethany Well Church in New Jersey. In addition, he currently serves as as an advisory board member for One Day's Wages, a global poverty organization. Him and his wife live in New Jersey with their two children. So I know you're going to enjoy this episode. So let's listen in. All right. Uh, for those who have never heard of International Justice Mission, uh, Richard, can you tell us more about what y'all do and why it exists? Uh, yeah. Well, IJM, uh, International Justice Mission, uh, our goal, our mission in this world is to protect people in poverty from violence uh, in their communities. And so that takes the form of trying to figure out how uh, these people are being victimized and then bringing the criminals to justice um, and then walking with the survivors to to ensure their safety and their strength uh, and really building up the law enforcement, um, working with them to build the system that will protect the people from um, violence to begin with. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, you know, I, I remember when we first met about a year ago, Christina and I went to D.C. and went to your headquarters and it was it was so neat to be a part of your prayer time as an organization and and just walk through uh, walk through your headquarters and I just loved the pictures that were on the wall mm. and the stories that were associated with it. So maybe can you share one or two stories of um, what you just said, but in real life action? Yeah, sure. The classic picture of sort of violence that we're dealing with. Uh, really takes the form of three different ways. Uh, the first would be human trafficking, slavery, sex trafficking, those sorts of um, classic examples. The second would be violence against women and children, mm. which would take the form of either sexual abuse against children, or it would be uh, property grabbing, land theft, um, or it would be domestic violence. And then the third uh, form of that, uh, particularly our work in Kenya, is the work of police abuse of power. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, when you start stop and think about what the this sort of classic example of, let's say, a person trapped in slavery, um, you have someone who, in a community where they need to borrow some money, and so a child is sick, or you know they have some sort of expense that is needed, so they will go to a wealthy business owner in the community, and they will say, "Hey, can we take out a loan?" And they'll say, "Sure, here." You can borrow 20 US dollars, and all you need to do is come into my factory, come into my rice mill, come into my business, and just work it off. Hmm. And so then the husband and the wife end up working off this loan. Now, in these communities, they're, you know, they don't have contracts and things like that. And so there's, they're not aware that this $20 loan is actually just a trick. It's a ruse Mm -hmm. to be able to create a sense of indebtedness to create a, a imbalanced relationship between a person in power and a person in poverty. And what ends up happening is that this uh, loan uh, gets added to fees and fines and interest. And so that actual, in actuality, 
the loan is impossible to pay off. No, wow. long, no matter how long and how hard this person would work for this business owner, this slave owner, mm-hmm. um, the, the loan would never be forgiven. Hmm. Um, and so really, this is the picture of trafficking. This is the picture of slavery. And so oftentimes, the picture that we have of, of human trafficking or of slavery is of bars and chains, right. of people behind bars and trapped in chains. But that's actually not the classic picture of what modern day slavery is. Oh. It's actually um, being held through the bondage of debt and poverty, hmm. more so than bars and chains. Richard, I I appreciate that distinction of that. And this may be the first time any of our podcast family has even heard of this before. Can you give us a picture of like, is this happening really all around the world? Is this like you had mentioned Kenya? Is this just happening in some parts of the world? Like, how dire is this situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the I mean, the the issue of trafficking uh, is going on everywhere. Um, it is illegal in every country, but it is also present in every country. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is be, is simple, because when you have people in power next to people in poverty, it becomes a recipe for exploitation right. and at worst enslavement. And so what ends up happening is uh, the people who are in power um, oftentimes are not they they live by a, a different set of rules, mm-hmm. uh, a different set of laws, and the law enforcement oftentimes doesn't apply to them in the same way that it applies to the people who are being victimized. Oh. In places around the communities where we work, mm-hmm. you have people in poverty who are instead of running from uh, running to the police, they are running from the police um, because of the lack of law enforcement um, that is happening in these countries. And so really when you think about, you know, even places like America, mm-hmm. we are having exam we have examples of sex trafficking and human trafficking and enslavement that happen even, you know, in America uh and in in western society. All the more in a uh country that is still developing, you're seeing how this community needs, you know, proper law enforcement to be able to um instill the justice in the justice system. Right. So uh, can you just go further in explaining then, because uh, you had mentioned that uh, there's a, the power struggle between those who have power and those who are victimized who don't have power. So let's say you there is a person who is trapped in, in slavery in, in, in some sort, and but they don't trust the law enforcement. They don't trust the police uh, to go to. So who do they turn to then? Well, I think it's a great question because the one of the things that we're seeing is that the law enforcement is not all corrupt. Hmm. Uh, police are not all corrupt. And so, you know, we wouldn't be able to do the work that we do in the 20 communities that we work in around the world if we were dealing with completely corrupt law enforcement. Right. But what ends up happening is that through lack of training, through lack of resources, or lack of will... The, the, the law enforcement in these communities are actually not able to do the work that they are tasked with doing. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is we actually work with the law enforcement to help build up the training and to help uh, secure resources and to help with uh, building up the will to be able to um, you know, have the law enforcement learn how to do these things, how to investigate a crime and how to collect evidence and how to 
you know, move that system, move that case through the court system. So it's not just working with police, but it's working with prosecutors and it's working with judges and it's working in the, in the justice system to be able to secure swift and strong uh, convictions of the criminals who are working and operating in this society. Hmm. Which brings up one point, which is the relief for human trafficking in the world is not going to just take the form of rescue. It's not just going to be rescuing the people from these slave factories. Hmm. Instead, it's going to be putting the criminals in uh, in jail, putting the the arresting the criminals, arresting the slave owners. Because once I rescue a slave, if I do nothing with the slave owner, then I've just created another place for that slave owner to enslave another person. That's right. Oh, that's right. But once I arrest the slave owner, then I have just created uh, safety and protection for hundreds of people who will never need rescue mm-hmm. in the first place. Now, it's interesting when I say, you know, when, when we arrest the slave owner, we are not the ones arresting slave owners because we have no authority to arrest slave owners. We are not the police. And so it's working with the justice system. It's working with law enforcement to be able to go and arrest the slave owner. And, and what that ends up doing is it ends up transforming a whole community. It, it, imagine a community that where, you know, you don't trust the police mm-hmm. and, you know, you look over your shoulder at uh, violence, the threat of violence, and then flip it on its head and say, well, now the law enforcement is working to arrest the criminals in the right. community and the threat of violence is actually being prosecuted and criminalized. Then it can transform a whole community where women and children and families and uh, you know good people and people in poverty in that community feel safe. Love that. Love that. That gives us a really clear picture as to the scope of work and, and the role that IJM has uh, around the world. So uh, just to focus in a little bit on, on your story, Richard, what, um, t- tell us a little bit about your story of how you got connected and, and kind of your heart uh, to wanting to work with IJM and, and what your role is in that. Yeah, for me, my career prior to joining IJM was actually in the church. Uh, I was a pastor like you, uh, and you know, for me, working in the church and and recognizing you know how much I wanted to bring justice, bring the issues of justice to my congregation, mm-hmm. and so you know, we used to. Um, take a time out of our service every week to be able to pray for some sort of issue to to bring awareness to some sort of issue, whether it be a global poverty issue or a food crisis or or, to- or tornado, you know, that hit uh, you know someplace or cyclones that were happening in uh, you know Southeast Asia, and so we would pray for these issues and try and bring this idea of justice into our uh, life, mm-hmm. even just for that moment. Um, it, you know, we, I, I tried to bring this issue of justice into, uh, my congregation. Um, well, you know, uh, you know, after about 20 years of, of my life in pastoral ministry, uh, I ended up joining IJM as a church mobilization director, uh, which was really, I think in some ways doing the same thing of bringing justice to the church, mm-hmm. but instead of doing it from the, ch- the church side, I was doing it from the the organizational side. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to meet with, you know, dozens and hundreds of churches and pastors and help bring justice to those congregations mm-hmm. through the work of IJM. Now more recently I've transitioned into a different role uh, of public engagement where I am able to actually tra- uh, train and equip 
uh, our speakers um, as we go around the stage in around the globe mm-hmm. of bringing the message of what IJM does uh, clearly and powerfully to audiences all over. Well, we really appreciate the work you do with IJM, Richard, especially as you're training others Mm -hmm. and bringing um, the awareness to the slavery that happens all over the world. And I think like you had mentioned already previously that many people have really recently been awakened to the issue of sex trafficking right in our own neighborhood, but may not be aware of the different forms of modern day slavery that currently take place all over the world. So you shared a little bit about uh, what modern day slavery is. Um, can you share a few more examples of what that is? Yeah, I mean, the classic forms I think that we become aware of are, you know, the sex trafficking cases where, you know, you think of somebody who is trapped and who is, um, you know, trafficked for sex and sold for sex out on the street. Um, But we see different forms of that as well. We see um, young girls who are being sold through bars, hanging around bars, and then they will, you know, come up to a man and they will be sold through that means. Mm -hmm. Um, We see people who are trapped in forced labor slavery. So we're seeing boys on boats in Ghana, on Lake Volta. We're seeing families in factories in India. We are seeing uh, men who are being trafficked uh, in cross-border fishing industry in Southeast Asia. Uh, And, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is the rise of uh, cyber sex trafficking, which Mm -hmm. is the online exploitation of children uh, through webcams. And so, you know, through things like Skype and through, you know, FaceTime and and things like that, we're seeing the exploitation of young children for sexual means um, over the internet. Mm. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babylon, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. You know, with what 2020 has been, (laughs) right, with COVID (laughs) and everything, I mean, just start the list. It's kind of crazy (laughs) what this year has been. And then now to hear all of this, I know to many of our listeners, it can seem overwhelming. It's kind of like, I'm already stressed. And now you're bringing Mm -hmm. all of this to mind. Yet this is not something that as easy as it can maybe be in our privileged Western kind of just toss it on, you know, sweep it under the carpet sort of thing, because we don't see it visibly in our neighborhoods every single day that's not really a response so uh, yet it does feel overwhelming to hear all that you're talking about so for our audience uh, for the moms and the dads and the parents listening what advice do you have for us um i mean you're you're in the same boat right as a as a dad of two children i mean how can families respond Uh, what can we do to help. So maybe let's let's start with parents of toddlers, like parents of toddlers mm-hmm. and then we'll kind of work our way at, uh work our ages up. What kind of advice do you give would you want to give parents who have toddlers at home? 
Yeah, I mean, let me address the the, the first part about sort of 2020 and, yeah, sure. and the sort of, you know, the despair. You know, I, I think the fact that we are learning about this should be a sign of hope. Hmm. Um, and I know it's hard, and I know it's hard news, um, but, you know, understand just the simple fact that, you know, my ignorance of this issue will not make an imp- does not mean that it goes away, mm-hmm. right? Ignorance does not mean eradication. And so the yeah. only way for this to actually go away is for more and more people to become aware of it and thereby do something mm. about it. And so uh, our awareness, as heavy as that may be emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, um, it's actually the right next step in our whole process with engagement on this issue. And so I would encourage people to press into that. I mean, obviously take care of your soul Mm -hmm. um, and things like that, but don't, um, you know, compartmentalize it uh, away because it's not something that you're personally uh, uh, dealing with because there are an estimated 40 million people trapped in slavery around the world. And so if that's a reality for 40 million people, you know, I cannot, I can no longer choose ignorance yeah. of this issue. Yeah. That's like more than the entire population of Canada being trapped in slavery. <gasps> yeah. When you put it like that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if you think about it, right, if the whole population of Canada, like literally were enslaved, mm-hmm. the whole world would know about That's it. Right. right. There would be people that would surround this country and they would be working to end this, this problem. Mm. Right. Um, and yet, 40 million people around the world are scattered throughout all these different communities, and the world, for the most part, doesn't know about it and is not outraged by it and mm-hmm. is not doing enough about it. And so when you think about that scale of that number, it, you know, if you put it in all in one area, then we'd say, oh, well, then this must end. Right. But then you spread it all around the world and sprinkle it through each community and somehow that becomes a little bit more palatable or at least avoidable mm-hmm. uh, in our everyday life. That's right. That's right. And then and then the despair side kind of sinks in. It's like, well, what can I do? Right. Like honestly, yeah. what yeah, can I, I do? I live I live all the way across the world. What what can right. we do? What can our families do other than just feel bad <laughs> yeah. for others? Yeah, or yeah. give or give money, right? right. It's kind of like that's it it almost seems especially when you're not facing it on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. It's like, okay, well, non-response is not really a response. So right. well, what can I do? So I just give money. Is that, is that it? Or I mean, uh, yeah. What, so let's, let's go to the, the flip side of the parent side, a family yeah. side. Um, yeah. How, how can parents begin processing this as families and, you know, with, with a variety age of children? Yeah. I, I think it's, first of all, I think it's, you have to make the choice to engage. You know, obviously I'm not going to tell you how to parent, but I think if parents make a commitment to bring justice into the home and so to to bring the issues of justice. And so, you know, when you're with young toddlers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, as you're walking around, you can see different dynamics at play mm-hmm. around, you know, with people, people who are being overlooked or people being treated differently. And I think it's important for us as parents to be able to engage with those issues as early as possible. Because, you know, I, and, you know, I am a second generation Korean American, uh, which means that my parents were first generation. They were the ones who came over as, uh, you know, in their 20s from South Korea to America. Mm-hmm. And so they were just learning the culture, right? They came from a completely homogenous uh, society in South Korea to a, you know, melting pot here in America. And so 
you know, traversing all of these justice issues and race issues and things like that um, was a heavy task for them as they're just learning the language, learning the culture. And so for me, my parents didn't lead me in a way of introducing and com- conversating over these issues of justice. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important for us as parents to make the commitment that we are going to process this together as appropriate for the ages of our children. Yeah, I I really appreciate that sense of noticing, mm-hmm. that sense of uh, really cultivating because injustice is wired deeply within us, right? right? So yeah. just kind of cultivating, helping give language in and around that for our children, and and yeah, that that makes that makes so much sense. I mean, I even remember moments where we would do that, where there would be injustice. I mean, even <laughs> among our children fighting each other, and yeah. they're like, oh, "That's what? That's not fair, right? That's not fair." Right. And and, right. and and talking through dynamics like that. So so I get that, and and I do really appreciate that sense of. Okay, having those conversations and equipping our children with language. But what about if you have a 12-year-old, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old right at home yeah. and they, 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 they're grasping this sense um, that they've definitely heard of sex trafficking mm-hmm. uh, and there's this kind of indwelling sense of, man, I got to do something about this, even just Gen Z right now and, and all the marches that have happened and, and just this sense of... I don't just want to talk about it. I want to do something about it. What advice would you give parents to process fighting modern day slavery as a family in light of, um, yeah, with with teenagers at home? Yeah, I think if you're parenting teenagers, I think, um, first of all, recognize where your children are getting their information because they are getting information. Um, If they're on Snapchat, if they're on TikTok, if they're on Instagram, they are seeing uh, clips, they are seeing photos, they are seeing uh, slogans. Uh, recognize that. A- 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 come to grips with the fact that your children are seeing this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you need to speak into the conversation because they're already getting information. They may not be asking you the questions, yeah. um, but they have those questions and they have opinions. And so, especially as a teenager, as, as their concept of justice and of, of fairness and of equity and of race and all of these things are being formed, you need to be part of that conversation to lead them through that. And so I would say, you know, for teenagers, you know, when, you know, one of the things that we do, I have two teenagers at home. One of the things that we do during dinner is, you know, when we're meeting as a family is we'll talk about the news. And so, you know, we'll talk about, you know, some of the headlines that we're seeing, and then we'll process it through a lens of justice. We'll process it through you know, well, why do you think that that happened to that person? Right. And, and, you know, when you, you have a conversation with your friends and say, well, why do you think you guys treat that person that way? And so, you know, just giving them a little bit of a frame to think about um, how you're dealing, how you're seeing the world and how these issues of justice are being portrayed. Now, with the issue of modern day slavery, it can be a little bit more challenging because it's not necessarily in the news. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily headlining CNN or global news sites, but and also it's not necessarily part of our everyday life. It's not like you'll be out at the mall and be like, see that person, that person's enslaved. But you mm-hmm. can begin to start opening up and experience exposing some of the issues that are affecting global communities to your children intentionally. And so you could say, you know, you can bring up a fact or bring up a story and ask your children to think about that and think about what it would be like 
for that person to, you know, we have victims who are our children's age, right? Mm -hmm. We have victims who are young, you know, in their, you know, two, three, four, five years old, um, all the way up to all ages. And so, you know, you can ask the child to think about what it would be like and, you know, what, what could they do? You know, there's this story of a young girl, uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, at a church that I actually worked with, um, who heard the story probably when she was like 10 years old, Mm -hmm. who heard about this issue of slavery and ended up selling lemonade, um, on the street. I mean, it's so cute, right? Mm -hmm. Selling lemonade and this and that. And you would think that like, you know, she earned like a few dollars or whatever. Well, she ended up earning like thousands and thousands of dollars. Oh, wow. um, not because the lemonade was so good, <laughs> but because she told people about this issue. Hmm. And this 10-year-old girl began trumpeting this cause. And she had this lemonade stand year after year after year after year after year. She's raised tens and tens of thousands of dollars wow. over these years, raising awareness in this community because she understood that this was a something that she needed to do. Now, you know, this girl, this, you know, who's now a young woman now, like she's going to, she's going to do something with that. There's no way that she, you know, her eyes are attuned to justice that she, there's no way that she's going to go throughout the rest of her life and not see these issues of justice. And those are the children that I want to raise people Mm -hmm. who see the vulnerable people who see people who are being, um, you know, enslaved and oppressed and, um, overlooked. Um, those are ultimately, that's what we want, um, as, as parents, Because, I mean, that's what God did for us, right? I mean, that's what, I mean, God reached us when we could not help ourselves. I mean, that's the very nature of the gospel. And so what we're trying to do when we're talking about this issues of justice and this and that, it's not a side issue. It is a gospel issue. Mm -hmm. We're trying to infuse the gospel into our children, and that's exactly what we're doing. Right. Richard, I can imagine our podcast family is just feeling so riled up of like, okay, I want to talk to my kids. I want to share stories. I don't know any stories to share. (laughs) So where are maybe some resources that our podcast family, the parents can read about to be even to be able to share some of these stories with their children? Yeah, I'll say, uh, you know, you can go to the IJM website, IJM.org. You could also, you know, look us up on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all the channels. Um, you know, to find some stories of hope um, that we are putting out, especially during this year of 2020, which is particularly uh, despairing. And and here's the thing, like, yeah, it's true. You don't know where these stories are, but once you begin to find the stories, you will begin to see them more and more. Mm. And I'm not just talking about like the Facebook algorithm. I'm actually saying like our eyes and our ears become attuned to seeing that. When you buy a, a, a new model of a car, you begin to see that car all over the place, right? right? Yep. And so when you begin to take steps and looking for injustice, you're going to begin to see it in all areas in your world. You're going to start seeing it in your church, in your community, in your school, and even in your family and in your home. And your heart is going to now go out to those people. And so, you know, I, I, I think we as parents tend to rush ahead and think, I need to get to this end goal, but I, there's no way that I know how to get there. Mm-hmm. And my encouragement to you is take one step this week, pick a day, find a story and show it to your children and show it to your family and talk about it. And then the week after that, 
you know, at, you'll find another one and mm-hmm. more and more and more. And then pretty soon your children are going to be coming to you and saying, I saw this story. Can we talk about this? Like, this is the thing. It's a journey. And as we take steps more and more into the heart of injustice, we're going to be able to see how our hearts and our minds are being tuned to justice. I love that. I love that. I just looked up the IJM Instagram and just saw the the, the most recent post as of the time that we're recording here. 13 children and two adults rescued, five mm. suspects arrested. Wow. Uh, 13 children and two adults are free and safe from cyber sex trafficking thanks to the collaborative work of the Australian police. IJM mm-hmm. and the Philippine Internet Crimes Against Children Center. The case started with the arrest of an Australian national who was arrested for a child exploitation um, for child exploitation related offenses. The Australian investigation identified links between the accused and suspected of the online sexual exploration of children facilitators from the Philippines. With that tip. Um, the Philippine International the Organization conducted a simultaneous sting operation at different locations in the Philippines, which resulted in the rescue of 15 victims and the rest of five suspects. Man, I love that. Mm. Yeah. I, I, Life's changed right well, there. Well, because this, yeah. is not, this is not a movie, right? This right. is not something. Yeah. Yet our news doesn't cover this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to rely on our regular news feeds, yeah, it just, it, it doesn't highlight things like this. So I love... I love the suggestion, and, and we'll put links to that and and to uh, to the IJM website and all that in our show notes. But just um, just as we wrap things up, Richard, I know there's something called Freedom Sunday, and and it's an initiative that IJM has to to really continue to promote this message and help people become aware. So maybe for all of our listeners, could you just tell us a little bit more about this and and perhaps from a grassroots level, give us advice as to how we can be a part of this? Sure. Well, Freedom Sunday is a call to the global church to say, we're going to use our voice and our platform and our influence in our communities to be able to raise awareness uh, of this issue. We're going to bring this issue, which is not frontlining the news, and we're going to bring it to the forefront. And we're going to say, we as a church, we as a community of God-fearing believers, we're going to bring this to the forefront because we believe that this must end. Hmm. You know, throughout scripture, God, when in these communities, throughout the, you know, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, where God would, you know, have a king or a ruler in this community where they would not be standing for justice of the oppressed, God would raise up a prophet. And that prophet would use their voice to be able to call the governments to justice, and they would call the powers to justice. And so this is really the same thing that we're trying to do with Freedom Sunday, is that there are people in power throughout the world, the rich, the, you know, the rulers, you know, that, those sorts of people that we're saying, we want to be the prophetic voice that, that re- reverberates throughout the world to be able to say, we are going to stand for justice and hold you to account to be just for your people. And so what we're, what we're trying to do with Freedom Sunday is to take aside one day, one Sunday out of the year to be able to say, we're going to raise this issue of human trafficking. We're going to raise this issue of slavery and we're going to bring it to our people and we're going to make people aware about it. And we're going to encourage and challenge people to pray and to give and to act about what we can do to help bring justice to all of the people who are enslaved throughout the world. Love it. Love it. Richard, thank you so much for being with us. And once again, we'll put that all in the show notes. But uh, podcast family, Richard is, if, if you're not 
following him on Instagram, I I obviously so Richard is in addition to everything else he does, he also does host his own podcast called The Pursuit. But honestly, I love I absolutely love your posts and especially with all that's been going on in the news. Uh yeah, there's it's been so informative to follow you and to see your posts and all that. So, so what's the best place? Where's the best place for people to connect you and find you online? Thank you for that, Daniel. Uh, I appreciate that so much. Um, you know, the best place to find me is on Instagram at uh, Richard L dot E E. Um, there's a lot of Richard Lee's in there. <laughs> Richard. Yeah. <laughs> Richard L dot E E. And uh, generally you can find me uh, on that handle on Twitter and, and, and places like that. Um, you can find me on Facebook as well. And, and so, um, yeah, that would be probably the best place to follow me. Um, and uh, you can find the podcast at The Pursuit Cast. Perfect. Well, we'll put all of that once again in the show notes. Thanks so much for being with us, Richard. Thank you. I love how we ended the podcast because it really did give us things that we can do. Exactly, Daniel. You know, we always love to talk about the nitty gritty and the practical, and I believe that's what we did today. So just a reminder that all of the show notes will be found on inbetween.org slash episode 113. And also there will be a link to Freedom Sunday where you can find out more about how you can involve yourself, your family, perhaps your church and your community in this fight for freedom. Perfect. Well, next week on episode 114, what are we going to be covering, Christina? We are going to be talking about how to fight with your spouse without ruining your marriage. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thanks again for listening in and we'll catch you next week.